2: everyone and welcome back to the Culture podcast we are your hosts sean and a very sick tom this week and we wish him well and he will pop in and out throughout the course of this episode i am sure hello tom yeah. hello <laughs> as you can see he sounds entirely normal uh we are joined this week thankfully by the uh self-described pretty good this morning ellie little child how are you ellie
1: I'm pretty good this morning <laughs>
2: Delightful delight. That's what we want to know That's what we want to hear um, There's been a lot of Star Trek news recently
1: Yeah
3: For over two centuries
2: You're listening to the Federation News Network We wake up this morning to the slightly sad news that we did not win anything. We Star Trek did not win anything at the Critics' Choice Awards. However, they were well represented with a nomination for Best Drama Series for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Celia Rose Gooding for Uhura for Strange New Worlds, and best animated series for Star Trek Lower Decks, which is not bloody bad. You know, this has not been a bad award season in terms of nominations for Star Trek this year.
1: I like to see it. I like to see when sci-fi gets represented, because I feel like a lot of the time sci-fi things tend to be ignored mm. and not taken seriously when it comes to award season.
3: A lot of genre gets ignored, basically. I mean, we've had some of the some of the more interesting horror films of the last like decade and they just get completely ignored and it's like if it's not a drama no one cares which is really upsetting yeah like it it most definitely has been that way
2: um and uh, but and yes but look at this i mean if you think as well about the um the the Astra awards that took place there last week as well you know star trek i think I mean, it's been around in the game long enough for people to... You either take it seriously or you don't. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, There's not much is going to change at this point. Um, and yet something will happen next week to completely make that an obsolete statement. But we had wins from Terry Metallis and Jerry Ryan. We've had nominations for two other Star Trek series as well. Um, it's, 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 it's nice to see... I know awards are not everything, but it's nice to see just recognition... Just an inclusion, that's all.
1: Yeah, and I think what's interesting as well, as we were just saying about, you know, if it's not drama as such, but even beyond it being sci-fi, the two that we that got nominated here, you know, Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, they're the kind of, the ones that take the, I mean, I know Strange New Worlds is a very broad in terms of the different um, genres that it focuses on, but they're more the kind of lighter toned, if you like, the, the kind of more comical elements to those, as opposed to, say, Picard, which was much more serious and dramatic so that's interesting that out of all of the ones to be nominated they're the ones that did have those lighter tones to them
2: I wonder what, what do you think about this one for Strange New Worlds in particular is it because it had more of a, a, a range of genres within the one season than say Picard Picard was a fairly when I say straightforward <laughs> very you know cool looking slick 10 hour movie in which there were definite moments of horror and levity but Strange New Worlds was like 10 different genre episodes
1: I think that certainly helped. It gives you like it gives you a range and you kind of really can see all the different elements that Star Trek can achieve. I think that's what's been so successful about Strange New Worlds. It's grasped every different element that you possibly can and it's worked. Plus musical. <laughs> and a musical. <laughs>
2: Maybe, maybe maybe that's it I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of the reactions coming out of last night but with musical maybe Strange New Worlds gets representation because it had the musical and it was a night of musical shenanigans because Ryan Gosling like I'm I'm Just Ken won Best Song of the Year uh, which I thought was just like his reaction is golden when the camera focuses on it because he's just like but there's actual singers like nominated <laughs> for this what are you talking about?
1: I kind of like it when that happens, though. You know, it just mixes it up a little bit. You know, as we've said, award season can become quite predictable, so it's nice when you get something that pops up that's unexpected.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, uh, award season upsets. Um, and uh, what was it? Uh, I Just it doesn't even relate to this in any way. But God, the host of that Golden Globes was just dreadful. Did anyone see that? He was awful.
1: I didn't. I to be. I will be honest. I didn't actually watch it. What I did watch was um the Trek Talks uh, charity. Panels.
2: Now, I wanted to ask you about that because I know there's literally there's one doing the rest of the moment and it's uh, basically Bran and Braga discussing J- Janeway and Chakotay. So I'm sure I'm sure you have learned it off at this stage, but genuinely, um, what did you take from that?
1: Do you know, I did watch that panel. And what's quite interesting is these headlines kind of suggest that he did talk about it, but he actually avoided it slightly. Oh, I mean, we had the Hagemans and Aaron were talking about it and, you know, the direction they'd gone with it and what they'd seen between the characters. Um, Bran and Braga kind of kind of skipped that part of the question and, and moved on to more like Jane Janeway as a character herself and didn't really talk that much about the Jane Way relationship as such. But what I did find interesting was the way he spoke about how he kind of envies the Hagermans for being able to tell um like serialized stories and and not at the same time. Whereas they kind of had to, it was literally like the studios were like, nope, you have an individual story every week. And if there's even the the flicker of them crossing over, that's a no-go. Whereas for Prodigy, they are able to have kind of this through story and be able to tell individual stories as well. It was a really interesting talk to to witness. And I also watched the Tuvix panel as well, which was also very interesting to watch. <laughs> I,
2: I would well imagine. Um what was I gonna say? Just just on that about um about I suppose hearing the people who made Star Trek in I'm gonna call it the the T- we we change name for this every day, the TV era. Right. So basically the 90s um and the strict rules they had to follow when it came to serialization like we take it for granted i know we've made this point a of times we take it for granted now ds9 was absolutely shattering the mold when they did their their three-parters their six-parters and their 10-parter story like that just wasn't being done certainly not star trek and then you know prodigy is a 20-hour ep uh movie um now it's or you could say it's a 10 and a 10 you know but it's it's definitely it was set up to be serialized and, you know, what could the writers then have done with that kind of format? Um, because if there's, I think if there's one, the most common criticism I think Voyager in particular gets is that it tried to redo the next generation. And I don't, I think that's a very simple way of putting it, but certainly in terms of the story of the week and the episodic, and for the most part, no tension, unless your name is an enix, Um, you know, and and but it could have completely gone the other way.
1: Mm-hmm. I think if Voyager was made now, if you think about the nature of of Voyager, the fact that they become a family of sorts and they are in this kind of one place, if you made Voyager now, there would be so much more um, character study, relationship study. There would be so much more drama to it because of the the kind of claustrophobic nature of their situation. And I always say this, I think, you know, I know I always talk about the James Wage Cote thing. And I also always kind of do make the point of I don't necessarily think that it was the end game that it should have been. But I really do think that if it were made now, it would have been, you know, after the events of, say, resolutions, it now there would be at least a few episodes after that, where you'd see that tension and that struggle of them trying to get back into their command structure. Whereas when it actually aired, the following week, it was like nothing had ever happened. And I think that's where it's changed. I think now there would be a deeper exploration of the after effects of that. And it would carry on across multiple episodes just in the background doesn't have to be at the forefront. But I think it it definitely is something that now would be explored more.
2: I think as well. I think like I'll be honest, I do not want a full season of the episode night. I think the episode night is a fabulous standalone episode. But again, what is the biggest thing about Voyager? It abandoned its premise at the end of the pilot which was, we're lost with no one to help, and we've got two crews. Okay, we've got one crew, and um, we're basically a floating starbase, because if there's a dent in the hull, it's gone next week. And look, 90s budgets, 90s restrictions, you know, you, you're kind of like, okay, listen, you, you can either be upset about that or just get on with the show. Um, I I didn't get a chance to watch the Tuvix one. What was what was uh, the Tuvix panel like?
1: It was very interesting, actually. It had, uh, I think, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain the actor's name was Tom Wright, um, who actually played Tuvix in the panel as well, which is very interesting. Um, What I did learn, uh, we also had Lisa Klink um, in there, and she was one of the the writers. What was very interesting, we did learn that at one point they actually considered um, having Ethan Phillips play Tuvix as opposed to having a third actor come in to play the role, Um, which I don't... Personally think I would have liked that. I think I liked that they had someone who was like a real good mixture of the two.
2: Hmm. I think uh, I remember I was watching uh doing my annual rewatch of ER and Tom Wright turns up on an episode and I'm just like, at this stage I know you so much for your Tuvix character. He's very
1: recognizable, even without yeah. all of the prosthetics.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think did did he mention in the panel, I, I remember he'd said before that the actual filming process wasn't that fun because there's a lot, again, prosthetics, but also he was the new guy, but he's only there for a week. But Do he's kind what? of he the star of the episode.
1: Yeah, so I think I've heard that before. And I think that might have been touched upon maybe in the Delta Flyers podcast as well. I don't know where I've heard that. But in this panel, he seemed to su- suggest that he had a lot of fun doing it. Um, so- he also, he said that he knew Ethan Phillips and Tim Russ prior to, to taking on the role. And so he had kind of, Observed them as people as well as as characters, and so he was able to incorporate his own personal knowledge of these two actors as well as the research he'd done on the two characters to like mould his interpretation of a mixture of the both.
2: Did this did, in any way? Did um the lower decks episode come up? Had you had you No, seen...
1: I thought it was going to come up, and I was waiting for it, and it it didn't. I mean, I I kind of have a feeling that that's potentially why this was the panel that was done it's kind of a relevant topic at the moment yeah exactly um but yeah there was there was also a discussion I think Robbie McNeil said that he kind of took a little bit of an issue with obviously the whole the Tuvix dilemma and he felt that it kind of damaged the, the character of Jane Wave for having to make that choice and he said that if he had done it one of the suggestions he would have made was for Tuvix to have sacrificed himself ultimately um but Lisa Klink very like clearly stated that they they wanted something that would show the challenges that the captain had to face and really show that she has to make the hard choices and ultimately every decision falls on her shoulders regardless of whether it's a, a pretty decision or not yeah, and i agree I, with that
2: i actually do agree with that like i i totally appreciate not wanting your favorite captain to become a killer um but you know when you think of, there are times Picard made a call, before, lest we even touch on Cisco's war crimes, there are times when Picard would make a call that, quite frankly, could have gone either way. But it's always Tuvix. Now, in fairness, the presentation of how Tuvix is done as well, where he's literally, you know, please somebody help me. You know, it's, you know, for God's sake, poor Janeway. But, um, but there are, I, I think she gets more scrutiny than perhaps is fair. Mm. Um, because I mean it's quite simple really needs of the many you know you've got Tuvox and Neelix or you've got Tuvix sorry but Spock wouldn't have hesitated yeah you know?
1: no I agree I think I agree I mean I know this is a question that everyone it's a massive debate isn't it was she right mm-hmm. or was she wrong personally I think she probably made the right decision hard as it was to make um, and and Tim Russ, um, I think it was Tim Russ commented on like the, the biggest, the most powerful moment of that entire episode is just the subtle uh, facial expression that she has as she walks out of sickbay at the end of the episode. And you can see just in her face, in the performance, the weight that this has, has on her.
2: Mm. Mm. Abso- absolutely. Like, And and this is to sort of, I suppose to go to Brannon Braga's um and the uh, and, and the prodigy guys uh, panel this is where serialization might have been bloody difficult for Kate McGrew to be asked to play by the way every week don't forget tuvix like, okay, <laughs> okay right i was having a good week this week but where serialization would i think have this is something that could have helped this um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean you just touched on on night and it would have been interesting to have seen a slight build up to what we had in night You know, just a few moments that suggested she was on a downward spiral Mm. rather than opening a series or opening season four, five. Ah, so close. Opening season five um, and suddenly the captain is in this deep depression. You kind of, you should have maybe just seen a few elements of it. Again, it doesn't need to be the the main bulk of the story, but just a few moments that kind of suggest, oh, I think this is going to come back to bite us at some point. Something's happening in the background here.
2: Mm. Just uh, actually on, on this topic, I just want to mention the fact that Trek Talks, which is an amazing um, organization that it raised money for the Hollywood Food Coalition, uh, they hit their goal. Uh, their goal was over 100 grand and I think like it was 106 and change in the end. Like they did really, yes, really I well. Yes, I think so.
1: They, I think uh, Rod Roddenberry had said that he would match up to 50,000 50, and so their aim was to reach at least 50,000 so they could at least make 100 and they did. They surpassed it. Amazing.
2: Flippin' amazing. Um it's like it's almost like trackies are good people.
1: Well, I know. There is obviously a
2: couple more big bits of news that we've kind of covered in videos. Obviously, um the wonderful Chris and Tom releasing a news video last week, which was incredible and they did great. Oi, 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 movie, 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 movie. Now, Ellie, you wanted to specifically address this.
1: Well, only slightly because I was a bit confused. Sure. Now, by all means correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while since I've watched the Kelvin movies. Cool. But a prequel to the events of those movies mm-hmm. is not in the Kelvin timeline, right? Unless it's after the destruction, but before the... Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. Because yeah, sure. my brain was hurting a little bit because I was like, if it happened before then, then that's just what we know as the prime universe, right? Absolutely, and then I thought yeah. maybe I was being stupid.
2: No, not at all. Not at all. So <laughs> you're so you're on this you're on this exact same page as an awful lot of the discourse. moments like, because they say it's decades before the events of two thousand and nine's film. So uh, I think so. What it is, it's about thirty years between the Nero arriving mm-hmm. and the the launch of the Enterprise. So I mean, all right, sure, decades could happen, but if it's going to be host Nero, which is fine. I mean, you do have you do have that. You do window. have a gap.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Um, so is it kind of going to be... It's going to be like the Kelvin timeline version of Strange New Worlds, basically. Possibly.
2: Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. W- will we see... Yeah, exactly, yeah. M- might we see more of Bruce Greenwood's Pike? Um. Which, to be fair, I quite liked Bruce Greenwood's Pike. I think a lot of people, when you think Pike today, automatically, of course, you think Anson Mount. Uh, I still, in my heart of hearts, think Jeffrey Hunter, but anyway. Um. But yeah, Bruce Greenwood was brilliant in the role. I... But. Then you get the problem with prequels. Mm. Why?
1: Yeah, this this is the thing, isn't it? I'm, this is what I'm confused. Mm. The other thing I thought of, and again, I could be missing something really obvious and by all means call me out on it, but the events that caused Nero to do what he did in the first place right mm-hmm. was events that actually happened in the future but were the catalyst for all the events. So yes. could we find a weird... And I'm wrong because they've specifically said decades before... But in my mind, before I saw that detail, I was like, even though technically it happened after because it's in the future, in the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of time travel, those events actually happened first and triggered the events that happened after. So it's a prequel, but actually set in the future. That was a thought in my mind, but I'm wrong.
2: (laughs) Much that I would love to see a film of that, but you've got Prodigy and Lower Decks are both about to arrive at the Romulan supernova season one of Picard basically has that as the backdrop. Like, do it if you're going to do it, do it. I mean, I'm totally cool with it being like. And yes, pre, uh, you know, sequel that ah, becomes a prequel. Like, it's a
1: sequel that's a prequel. <laughs>
2: sequel that's a prequel. Thank you. Yes. Um. Like, uh, the, w- one of the uh, I don't, I don't like say because like, like that film. Oh, hang on. What if that someone hadn't seen that film yet? And okay, there, there are films that do that, and they do it very well. Um, I think I, I'm, I'm with everybody else. Like, right. So you're going to do if you're going to do a prequel to the Kelvin universe, which, as you correctly say, is just the prime universe, then if you go back more than 30 years, are we going to get the birth of the Federation? Are we going to get the Romulan War? Are we going to get the season five of Enterprise that never was? And if we are going to get that, I mean, I I do not want to in any way sound like a bit of a killjoy. They're not investing $200 million in giving us a movie of Enterprise. I want them to. Mm -hmm. They might do a, a long trek.
4: Mm. But
2: they're not doing a big budget movie that because I, in my heart of hearts, I couldn't be sure you'd get bums on seats for that.
1: Mm. The other thing that I always wonder as well is they went through the effort of specifically because of fans like us who will pick apart anything that is inconsistent, they made a point of making these new films fit within. Within Star Trek, you know, they they explained how this is a different timeline, this is a different universe. And it's kind of like, why bother with all of that if you're just going to now make a film that is completely not part of that? I mean, they they kind of made a point of going, don't worry, we've recast all the main characters that you know and love. And their timelines and stories are all different, but it's fine because this is an alternate reality. If you then go back to the Prime Universe, you then fall back into that trap of having to make sure that you conform to everything that already exists. Yep. And I that concerns me.
2: As it stands, I, ju- I don't see it. Now, what I will say is that, so as a Trekkie, I'm right there with you, I'm confused and i oh, already going to do this. Um, as a film fan, um, I just want to get all of the names and absolutely correctly, but there's some pretty good bloody talent. Toby Haynes on board to direct and he directed episodes of Andor, which are basically lauded as being fantastic. And you've got Seth Graham Smith writing the script, who actually, I remember his uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies from back in the day, which was bloody hilarious. Um,
1: (laughs) Is Matt Smith in that? I think he is. (laughs) Is he? I think he might be. I think he Um, might be too. Anyway.
2: (laughs) but like all going well, I think we've got good talent here Um, and fingers crossed. I mean, like, Talent at the end of the day is, you know, what makes a good project, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, provided they don't be like, well, Enterprise never happened. It uh, did, though, buddy. Uh, as long as they don't do that, mm-hmm. I think I think we'll be okay. Um, and I, mean, I suppose we're kind of trying there because there is no more news than that. Like, that is, the news is Star Trek Four prequel, Toby Haynes, Seth Graham Smith, deadly. Now, <laughs> in the spirit of joy, shall we nip to Cargo Bay 101? I'm talking about this because, Ellie, you know how Cargo Bay 101 works. So that means that when you selected your thing earlier on, you knew exactly the cold vacuum of space that you would be asking us to blast it out into. So I know it's going to be meaningful. Ellie, what do you have for us?
1: Mm hmm. I have. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm quite proud of this one, because as you've just said, I've done a few of these now. And generally speaking, most of the ones I've done so far have been fairly like stuff I've just observed on screen. But this one, I feel like I'm really earning my Trekkie card here because I'm going Deep cut here. Um, it's something that I actually have moaned to Sean about already this week, so just act surprised. <laughs> oh, okay. Ooh. But I'm delving into the beta canon with this, right?
4: Oh,
2: okay. I know exactly where this is going. Yes, yep. okay. Right.
1: Cool. <laughs> uh. It's all right, Tom. Don't worry. You don't need to be confused. I'll explain it in great detail. Okay. Um, My thing here, right, is inconsistencies between characters' backstories that have been established – across various stories and elements. And I'll give you my example. Right. I am currently writing an article for for Trek Culture, but this is an article that requires a lot of research. And so I've been doing a lot of research, but not just, you know, your general research. This is like deep diving into beta uh, media and behind the scenes. And I was very confused when something that I already thought was established was completely different in in a different part of media. So, spoiler alert, writing an article about Janeway. Surprise, surprise. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The backstory of her character was established in um, Jerry Taylor's novel, Mosaic, which was, again, written by Jerry Taylor, writer on Voyager at the time, published during the airing of Voyager, and elements of which for that backstory were taken and incorporated on screen in the episode Coda. So in my mind, I'm like, OK, so if elements of it are considered canon because they've been incorporated on screen, then you can assume that the rest of the events that are established here are also are also canon. That's what happened. So jump to 2021 when the autobiography of Catherine Janeway is published and um, I'm reading it and I'm thinking I can't wait to get to this part of the story because I want to cross-reference and find out more details that hopefully will be explored more in the autobiography, which is literally all about her life. Um, Got to it and the whole event had been changed to the point where a whole character was not included in it. And like core details were wrong or weren't wrong, but were different. And then I was confused. And I kind of felt like I get that you know it's beta canon and so it's not necessarily you know strict canon, but if you're writing about a character's life and you know that there's already an established storyline that fans such as myself who are big fans of of a certain character know about, why would you change it rather than stick with what's already been established and then put your interpretation on something that hasn't already been established. It you know just confused me. <laughs>
2: do you know what I think this really reminds me of, um, and Tom, you might know more about this as well, is basically when the Star Wars sequel trilogy started coming out and all of the expanded universe was just kind of collected and told, right, that's alternate. That's, you know, alternate history. That That no longer exists. And I won't claim to be in any way an expert on star wars the franchise or, or or the expanded universe at all so i don't know how much of that was considered canon whether it all was considered canon whether none of it was considered canon but it feels like it feels applicable here because you now have conflicting ideas of what canon should be and mm. it's like well do you go with someone who wrote on the tv series or do you go with now i've 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 read i think it's fabulous the 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 autobiography, I think I think it's brilliant. But I kind of like the earlier. I have to say, I do kind of like the earlier version. Um, not that I want more tragedy visited on this poor woman's life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that the story that was established in Mosaic actually adds a whole new depth to the character that you I feel like informs much of what we then see on screen. As much as that wasn't actually, it wasn't established prior to voyager airing but i just feel like knowing that information adds a whole new depth to the character that makes makes things make sense and it just and the thing is as well is i did see an interview with una McCormack who wrote the autobiography and she did give her explanation as to why she didn't follow that particular story but i feel like if you want to add your own mark on it approach things that you haven't already been established. For for example, in in the autobiography, they also explore how Janeway and Tuvok met. Now, that's a passing line
4: Mm. in,
1: in an episode of Voyager, like a very passing brief mention of an occurrence. So you can take that one line as your catalyst and then expand it as much as you want because nothing else has ever been said about it. But to take an element that has fully been established already and then just change it, It doesn't sit right with me. I don't know. I just feel like I know it's not like main canon, but in my mind it was canon. And then it really confused me.
3: I actually have opinions on this. And it's funny that you, Sean, brought up the Star Wars sequels because um, I remember having an argument with a friend when the sequels were first coming out uh, because he was very much into the Star Wars beta canon stuff. And he got really angry that they ignored a bunch of things and some stuff didn't make sense because of this and that and blah, blah, blah. Uh, And my argument was, and I'm afraid to say this, guys, I don't care about Beta Canon when it comes to anything. Um, I think, hey, it's fun. People are making up whatever they want, especially when it comes to the Star Wars stuff. You know, you have your established films and then there's hundreds of thousands of different things of people doing their own whatever. But whatever's the established, like, this is the the thing, right? If it starts as a film or a TV show or whatever, and it's, a, and it's made by the people that make the show or film, you know, they can do what they want, and they can ignore Beta Canon if they want to, because why should they apply by the rules that random fans have made up? Sometimes those rules might be better than what they come up with, but, you know, it's up to them. They don't have to do it if they don't want to. Um, and I also... I'm going to get cancelled this for this, but I think most of Star Wars, especially beta canon stuff, sucks, so get over it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but my point is, it gets confusing when you have the person who wrote the beta canon also writing on the show itself, because then those lines are getting crossed, right? That That is confusing. And, I, and I, I'm guessing that's the bit that's like, well, you know, you took that as what her backstory was because she this person wrote for the show Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time it is beta canon and doesn't have to be taken as fact. I kind of look at beta canon as like what ifs so I even if it's like a what if this is what her backstory was you know you're welcome to um, to take it as fact if that's what you your head canon would like to prefer but I'm afraid that's just not how it works, Ellie. So uh, <laughs> I am out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I agree to to what you're saying. I think the thing that really confused it was that it was a writer for the show who wrote the book, and but also elements of it were included in canon. That's where it blurs the lines because yeah. some parts were included and then it gets confusing. But even beyond but that, like... I think more it's a case of two beta canon writers almost not referencing with each other
3: <laughs> yeah didn't didn't um william shatner write his own novel about how um uh, didn't actually die <laughs> several of them there's a series of them yeah
2: yeah the shatner verse
3: <laughs> yeah
4: <laughs>
3: this is what i mean it's like even though he's one of the main characters most iconic characters in television Still, you can just ignore every right? Shatner being ignored
2: is another possible topic for news, but we, 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 we've moved on from news. <laughs> um, I will side with Ellie on this one, Um. because I do, and it's I'm going to use the argument that a writer on the show wrote Mosaic. And not only that, it's Jerry Taylor. She was one of the people who created Star Trek Voyager. But I'm also going to leave myself the back door of that if we get overly worried about beta canon, we'll never be able to write an episode of Star Trek again.
1: <laughs> this is fair enough. Yeah.
2: So You know what? Just send me out into space. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna, Tom, grab that copy of the offending material and we're gonna blast you out into space. How does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. Excellent. Cool. This was the strangest <laughs> uh, resolution to a cargo bay 101 I've <laughs> done so far.
4: <laughs> and fire. <Bye. laughs>
2: So shall we look online and see what the people have asked us this week?
3: Yes, um, we have a whole bunch of questions. I am only going to ask a few today and save the rest for later. So let's start with uh, this is from our friend at win Voto or Voto. Oh, yes. Hello. Hashtag Ask Trek Culture. How are you all doing so far this new year?
1: a nice question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. I'm uh, personally, I'm I'm all right. Um, it's so strange. The last couple of months before Christmas, I mean, I'm gonna cross fandoms, but we had so much Doctor Who stuff going on that I feel like I didn't stop. And it's been quite nice to just chill out a little bit now that everything's calmed down a little bit before we get another rush later in the year. Oh uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I think because because uh, God, you were busy in December, uh, and like even. It felt like... So I did two of the episodes... Two of four, and it still felt like I didn't do a fraction of the uh, of the amount of Who Culture content that you did. So I'm glad things have, if not gotten lighter, gotten more straightforward, if you like, for you.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a little just calmer after the storm, but also before the storm starts again. <laughs> what
2: about you, Tom? How is your 2024?
3: Uh, yeah, it's okay. Obviously, right now, it's not great. Don't feel well, but hopefully I'll be better soon. Uh, but... Uh, uh personally, it's uh, been a very creative year for me, uh, releasing a self-published book some point this year. So it's all just been go-go for that, which if people know, I mean, Sean will definitely know, lots of work <laughs> that, uh, goes into it, lots of brain power. So when I'm not doing Trek culture, I'm basically just doing that. So by the end of the day, I'm creatively empty, which is actually a really f- fulfilling uh, feeling to have, um, so yeah, so far so good, and I think I honestly have good feelings about twenty twenty four. I think it's going to be a prosperous year for for people.
2: I think so. Yeah, it's been it's been busy uh, as 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 they tend to be, um, and I've already travelled and got home again. So you know, where in the world is Sean? Has already kicked off for twenty twenty four. Yeah, but it's been. It's been good. This th- th- this year already so far, fifteen days into January, is about taking stock and taking a breath where you need it, and that's that's how I've been. Because I, I have been doing that, and it has been helping immeasurably. Um, trying not to uh overextend, because uh yeah, yeah. no 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 one likes burnt out uh status. You don't like that. I mean, we people would call it burnt out, we'd call it deliciously sautéed. <laughs>
3: Uh, next question, uh this is directly for you, Sean. This is from at uh Mr Tufnell Uh hashtag Astrack Culture. Sean, have you watched Robocop yet? Yeah, I saw this I, on Twitter. This was the whole I, thing.
2: I, I know exactly where this question is coming from. It was uh, I, I shared a thing of like, "What are the biggest films?" Um, and no, I can't define biggest. <laughs> Someone else asked. Sorry, not be just, I was like. Uh, it's how you define it. That's how you define it. Uh, biggest yeah, films you haven't yeah. seen, and I haven't seen Robocop. I've seen bits of, but I have never sat down and watched Robocop. So I still have not had a chance to watch Robocop, but I will fix that this year because I want to. What 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 both Good. both of you? What are two massive or seemingly massive movies that you haven't watched yet. Ellie first.
1: I knew you were going to ask it. I was just thinking it as you were talking. So I was like, you're going to ask me in a minute. (laughs) Um, I have not seen the dark Knight films. Oh, interesting. I should. It's one of those ones where I keep thinking I need to watch these, but i just never get around to it.
3: They're good.
2: Like they're good. They're well worth
3: watching. Um, I'm thinking there definitely is a whole bunch that have just completely passed me by. (sighs) List off some big films that you think I should have seen. Uh, Blade Runner. I'm trying to think of like sci-fi as well. Okay, what are the big ones? For
2: Godfather, um, Wizard of Oz, um, The Meg, um, <laughs> which is fabulous, by the way. Um, let's see. Titanic. Yeah, Titanic. Yeah. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. Casablanca. Okay.
3: I, I've not seen It's a Wonderful Life or Casablanca. Some of the, the older classics, I've always put off because I'm like, oh, I need to be in the right mood to like mm. properly sit down and watch this. And I'm never in the mood. I'm quite bad with newer films as well. Like, there's a certain like year where just from then onwards, I probably haven't seen them. I haven't watched a Pixar film for years. Like, there's That's all those types fun. of films. Have you seen Encanto? No. That one's well worth a watch as well, just because mm-hmm. like,
2: it, it seemed like for a while you couldn't turn for for, for like you know kind of oh is Encanto on every single screen in your house as well? Okie dokie. Yeah. Um, but that was that was good fun.
3: I enjoyed that. Yeah, I want to watch it. I watched um I watched Turning Red. I can't. I don't know if that's a piece. of or not. It's on Disney. I quite enjoyed that.
4: Yeah,
2: I enjoyed that one. That was good fun. Um. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> <Cool>. So <laughs> you need to watch some classics when you get around to it. Ellie, when you get a chance, Dark yeah. Knight trilogy, it's good. You, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's more than just, I think sometimes the, those superhero ones can be like, uh, action stories. Yes, there's action, but there's a lot of great story to it. And yes, I will watch Robocop this year. What else we got?
3: Okay, one more. Uh, um, I, I, I saw one that I quite liked. Uh, where is he? Okay, it's our friend at Chris Trekkin.
4: Hey, Chris. Um,
3: which episode from any series or film I'm assuming he means Star Trek. Uh, would you wish to see again for the first time? Ooh. God,
1: <laughs> that is—I know—that's—that's a—that's a toughie.
2: You see, right? I have an answer, but I want to see it again for the first time at the age I'm at now. Right, and it's—it's it's in the pale moonlight. Because oh, yeah, I'm, because I think I was. I just very very quickly. I'm gonna say 1997. That came out. Um, uh, 1998, sorry. So I was 10 when I watched In the Pale Moonlight for the first time, which means I absolutely did not get the same impact at age 10 as I you know, I would yeah. get now watching that. Cisco's actions, the interaction with Garrick, I knew I loved it at the time, but I'd love, love to watch that episode on completely first time ever now.
1: Um, I want to say something like, like Scorpion, because mm-hmm. I think... I think maybe at the time I was watching it, I, you know, I was making my way through. I didn't fully understand the importance, the relevance, but I think now with the knowledge I have, if I went back and watched it for the first time again, I would really feel the significance of where this is going and what this could mean. Uh, Yeah. I think maybe, yeah, Scorpion.
3: Uh, Mine would be the film First Contact um, because it was when I was back at uni and me and my friend were just... uh, shout out to Connor my friend uh, we were just like watching a lot of Star Trek at the time just randomly and I'd seen some of the films but I hadn't seen First Contact at that point and we threw it on and just I remember like laughing at the silly bits enjoying the fun bits and like you know again I've, I've said before that I've always kind of considered the films especially the uh, TNG films to be a kind of a a what if kind of thing, like what if Picard was an action star, blah blah blah, <coughs> and and I find that that's what I enjoy the most about the films. And I think first contact was just a lot of fun, and uh, it was nice seeing them in sort of those type of scenarios and stuff. So yeah, I like it. I like it. Some 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 damn good choices there. Um Now um.
2: That sort of brings us up to time. Um, thank you very much, Ellie, for joining us. As you are awesome and wonderful. And now that you've told us that life has got a bit more straightforward, we look forward to seeing an awful lot more of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, ah, wait, no, 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 I'm busy that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is, I mean, surely you have to do your ninth rewatch of Voyager. So you're going to be very busy anyway. So.
1: Do you know what? I just randomly watch episodes on a daily basis now. I just pick one at random and watch it.
3: <laughs> that, that's the... St- your- a true Star Trek fan now. That's what basically happens.
1: Apart for the rest from of your life. I I need to actually like carry on watching the ones I haven't seen, except now that I've found the one I love, I can't seem to get past it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. Cool.
2: All right. Well, look, thanks, everyone. Thanks for following along. <laughs> you're awesome and you're wonderful. Make sure you're following us on the socials. We're at TrekCulture on Twitter, Blue Sky, and TikTok. We're at Trek Culture YT on Instagram. I'm at Sean Ferrick. We have at E Littlechild, and we have at Tom C. Fien or at Tom Roberts Fien. Uh, and make sure you check out Tom's book when you can because he's awesome. Uh, yes, make please. sure you're following him on TikTok because he's now doing book talk, and I love book talk. So there's my, there's my there's my little plug. He's yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, thank you. It's a whole it's a whole thing. I'm new, but I'm a baby. Please treat me with <laughs> care. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.